and welcome to How to Deal When the Shit Gets Real podcast. I'm Rietta. And I'm Connie. And today we are here with Gordon Jenkins. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you deal when shit gets real. Thank you. First of all, thank you for having me. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, how, so who am I? So I'm, a, I'm an executive coach or a mentor. Um, I really don't care. No, I do care what you call me. <laughs> but I don't differentiate what between a coach and mentor. What I do, I hold people accountable, and yeah, I make shit happen. Right? I hold back. I get people to do things that's stopping them moving forward. I've had a, and well, I suppose we'll talk about. It, I've had a bit of a, an interesting life. I don't think I've had a better life or wor- worse life than anyone else. I've just had a life that I've learned that when shit happens, you can either stand in the corner or sit in the corner and go, "It's not fair. It's not fair," or you can get off your backside and do something about it and I think that's been my life I'm 51 years old and as far back as I can remember being bullied at school through being dyslexic at university moving to Australia being a successful um, finance executive managing large teams and now being a coach and setting up a medical foundation it's just about making a big impact making a difference so what actually since you brought up dyslexia what tip would you give a student with dyslexia it's really interesting, you know. When I when I um, when I was a kid, no one knew what dyslexia was, and for me, I was I was a mathematical genius, but I couldn't read, so I got put in the nonces class, right? And I, I don't like using the word nonces. Nonces is in English that means the thick class, but no one could understand what it was about. But today, now that we know, and I didn't actually know I had dyslexia until I finished my university degree. Wow. It's actually me. So I went through school not knowing. So I was a bit like, you know, the goodwill hunting. I could look at mathematics and I could do maths in my head really, really quickly, but I couldn't mm. actually read. Wow. So what I'd say to people with dyslexia is um, don't let dyslexia or others beat you down. Own it because it's only one small part of your DNA. It's only one small part of DNA. And today I think that we need to. You know, when I look at my school and I talked about being a mathematical genius, you know, I wanted to do complex cooking. I would have been a great chef if I would have been allowed to do, do cooking, but because I was a block boy, I had to do woodwork. I think that my, dyslex- my dyslexia today helps me connect things and form complex and often unconventional ways of thinking. And there's three things I found I'm good at, com- that dyslexia has made me good at. I see the bigger picture. And if you look at dyslexic people, they tend to see a bigger picture. They tend to be creative, and I'm creative. I'm not the one who does the detail, but I'm the one that helps people with the detail. And I'm a great problem solver. And I'm a great problem solver and enabling people to solve their problem, to solve problems as well. So own it. You know, dyslexia is just, it's, we can either worry about that 5% or we can really live the 95%. And there's now a lot of workarounds for it, you know, now because unlike when you were a child, they didn't know any better now people know and find workarounds to still learn yes absolutely you know and i'm I'm not criticizing my schooling but they just didn't know what it was they had a system and you you didn't fit that system okay you know what to do with you (laughs) yeah no absolutely you know i was i in maths i was brilliant in schools and my report card was always could do better well, if you look at that, if you look back, you go, the system could do better, but the system didn't know. Yeah, it didn't better know. to do better. Mm-hmm. 
my mom has dyslexia too. And she was, you know, around the same, she's a little older than you, but it was the same thing. They didn't know what it was, but I definitely agree with you that people with dyslexia tend to be creative because she's very creative. She's a beautiful painter and drawer. That makes me feel really old that when you said, you know, my mom has that and she's a little bit older than you. But But yeah, you know, the creativity, so it's a beautiful, so for me, it's, um, in a way, I, I use it as a little bit of an excuse now because when I write, people say, your spelling's wrong. I say, well, dyslexic. You know, it's always mm-hmm. funny when I have someone who sends me a document and said, can you please check to make, check the spelling? I went, what, you're asking the dyslexic to check the spelling? Really? <laughs> 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 I'll check your maths, but I can't check your spelling. Yeah, exactly. So since you wrote books, how difficult was it to write a book? Did you just not worry about it and just let the editor handle it? My dad, God bless his soul, was a was a quite famous journalist a motor journalist in, in the uk i love when he wrote he just wrote as he as he spoke and there's a real connectivity and really communication on it and with my business when i talk about network and i talk about how it's simple to network and there's four ways to network and and people are saying you should write a book about it you should write a book about it my instant my my automatic default is no because i don't know how to write I don't know. So get me on stage in front of 10,000 people and I can speak. In fact, you'll have to throw me off the stage. I can speak that long. Get me to do a video. <laughs> get me to do a video. Nah, I hate videos. And writing a book, my palms will sweat straight away because I don't, because I can't write. I don't know how to write. So I was sitting down with my wife and I was telling her what to do. And she goes, well, let's do it a different way. You know, if you, if you <laughs> I hate when a coach starts being coached, I don't really like it. She goes, well, if you were a client, what would you, if that was a client of yours, what would you say to the client? I said, we'll find a different way to do it. So we found a system, um, funny enough, and this great system called YouTube and Google. It's amazing what you find these days about how people write books with dyslexia. And we formed it and it, we basically, in a very short way, we, um, I spent some days on my wall and whiteboarded it and split my book up into six different chapters and sat in an office and my wife actually interviewed me based on what the bullet points I put in on the wall. We recorded it. We then used Fiverr to get hold of someone in the UK that could understand this this accent <laughs> who, who dictated it. And she works for the court. So she was able to dictate it really quickly, came back to us. That cost us about 20 US dollars. We wow, found that's a, really quick. Oh, uh, yeah. We found a and system. Cheap. Yeah, we found a and this was about fifteen thousand words. We found a system called Kartra uh, that helps you self-publish. We then went back onto Fiverr and Unsplash, I think it was, and a couple of other these web-based things, and found someone that could do a front cover and a back cover. Wendy did some research on what we needed with the ISBN numbers, and um, we basically self-published. So I actually I published a book. I didn't write a book. Right. And I've sold 5,000 copies. I'm in 87 countries. I've got hundreds, I mean, hundreds of libraries. I'm actually on the second edition of the book. And I spent less than $500 on marketing. That's awesome. So when people say, so if people say to me, you can't do it, or you, you know, if people say you can't do it because you're dyslexic, I'm saying, well, I can do it. I just don't have to follow the traditional way of thinking. You just rework it. You just re- exactly. you just rework it. And then people ask me how I do it. So what do I do? I sit down with Wendy and going, well, what do I do? So we actually put together a course of videos of how we produce the book. It's on the website, $97, I think it is. And if someone wants to self-publish a book, it shows them how to do it. 
and I'm actually I'm actually going to do my second book in a couple of weeks' time and sit down and do that. That's Ooh. exciting. Give us yeah. a sneak peek of the second book. Come on. So, <laughs> so the um, the second book is called is about who's on your plane. So with um, my special my expertise is in networking, and I build a framework as if you're going into an airport. So when you go into an airport. And the plane, before the plane can fly, it has to be fueled. It has to put the baggage on it. it has to, so that's like your own ecosystem. So you've got to get yourself fit and ready before you can look after other people. And then the aeroplane is, if you think about an aeroplane, you've got first class, business class, and second uh, economy. Well, that's the type of network you build. You know, those in first class are more important to your growth than those in economy. And you service them slightly differently. And my whole framework's about that. And I take people, instead of thinking about where I want to grow to today for tomorrow, I look at where you want to be in seven years and bring it and bring it backwards. Again, a different way of different way of thinking. So that's what the book's about. And then there will be a book about the rubber duck. Yes. We're, can you tell us a little bit about Banfi the duck? And you know what? When Rietta told me about this, I was like, so he's like my dad. Because <laughs> my dad, there's these like little... <laughs> Uh, Buffal. It's like a little bear type thing, and he brings them everywhere, and they're like stitched and handmade in England. <laughs> so, like when she told me about Banfi the duck, I was like, "Oh my god, I'm going to be so interviewing you, my father." <laughs> so, 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 I, so I say to people when people say to me, "What do you do, Gordon?" I said, "I can tell you about being an executive coach. I can tell you about why where I'll choose, or I can tell you why I've got a little rubber duck in my pocket." I right. want to know about the rubber ducky. No one yeah. ever asked me about it. No one ever asked me about the executive coach, but it comes back to the same thing. So I know you people on the screen can't see, um, listen to this, can't see, but for you guys, that's what he looks like. He is an actual rubber duck. He's so cute. And you will get one. We'll get your addresses afterwards and you'll we'll send one in the post to you. So, yes. and I actually, you know, the beauty about the rubber duck, I actually get paid to talk about the rubber duck now. I actually get paid to stand on stage to talk about rubber duck. You know, when you go to a conference and you get pens and water bottles? Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. When was, the, when was the last time you get a rubber duck? Never. Never. <laughs> and guess what? When you go home, what's the first thing people are going to say? What's with the rubber duck? So it's, yeah. part, it's become part of my business. So the story behind Pampy, so I'll, I'll do this quickly. And if you want to ask me bits and pieces, let me know. So we've always had a rubber duck in our lives. And it started a lot when I was doing a lot of traveling in the hotels. I was staying, I gave a rubber duck and I used to bring a rubber duck back from, from, Wendy, from Wendy. And because we don't have kids and when we ever go away on holiday, instead of just taking pictures of the landscape, we used to take pictures of the rubber duck. But Wendy, Wendy had a lung transplant in 2006, and the average lifespan of someone with a lung transplant is six years. So that's what they promote, six years. When six years came up and Wendy wasn't doing too well, uh, we decided to take a holiday of a lifetime. We weren't going to wait till we were 16 and retired. We wanted to live this life now. So we went off to Europe. We went to Italy and France. And Banff is named after a place in Tuscany called Castello Banffy. And it's one of these beautiful castles on top of a hill with a beautiful sunset and infinity pool. It's absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And it was there that Wendy decided that she wasn't going to sit in the corner waiting to die, that we would live life to the full, which was a bit of a problem because we had this holiday of a lifetime on the understanding that Wendy was going to die the next year and this holiday of a lifetime, her insurance would pay for it. But now it's when you decided not to die. So I've got to work out how I'm going to pay for this holiday of a lifetime. <laughs> Which was, thought was damn rude of her. So, <laughs> very Hashtag worth it, though. <laughs> hey, yeah, right? Absolutely. So I came back to Australia. I tried to get work. And I was 
positively discriminated against because apparently I'm white, I'm male, and I'm over 40. Mm. But I needed to work and I needed to pay for Wendy's medicine. And when I say I was positively discriminated against, we've got four major banks in Australia. And I sat down with the senior leaders of one of the major banks who said to me face-to-face, if you're a female and you're under 35, we would have employed you. Wow. And I said to them, I said, well, the problem is the other two people going for the jobs are my friends and they're both females and they're both under 35s, but they both know if they get the job it's because of the gender diversity play, not because they're worth it, not because they're better than me. So they actually put number four in instead. So I'm stood there going, how am I going to afford to pay for Wendy's medicine? And I need the money to pay for Wendy's because this is, this is not just vitamins. This is life-saving medicine that she needs to take every single day. So in Melbourne, we've got a bridge called the Westgate Bridge, which is very much like the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. I don't know what made me do it, but I drove over the bridge three or four times, really thinking that, you know, if I stop and I jump, that the insurance payout will pay for pay off the mortgage and at least give Wendy some certainty going forward. On the fifth journey over, I, I slowed at the top. I was ready to stop the car. And as I slowed, I looked down on the seat and I saw a little bam feet on the seat. And I remember what Wendy said. And Wendy said, you know, we've got to make sure every day count, no matter what happens, we can get through this. You know, it's not about getting in the valley. It's how you get out the valley. That's really, that's really important. That, that, that basically makes your destiny. So obviously I didn't jump because I'm here. I'm also scared. Of, I'm also scared of heights, which is another problem. But let's not go there. Um, so I came off the bridge, put into a gas station, petrol station, and called a friend. It called a psychologist, called a friend that had gone through severe PTSD and severe depression. He's ex-military. Um, I called him and got some help. So today, Bamfi embodies. I suppose what we can overcome, he, he's, he's what we can achieve with the right mindset and the right support. Every single day, he, he reminds me to live life fearlessly. I think that's what I do. I live fearlessly. It's, it's not recklessly, but fearlessly to break the boundaries of imagination, innovation, and, and to celebrate who you are and who I am, who we are as, as people. You know, he symbolizes strength. We do live with purpose because we, you know, we set up a foundation on the back of back of Wendy's sickness, and that's what he is. And is you know, I, I don't go anywhere with it. You know, I've got a big tattoo of him on my on my arm, so he's with me all the time. I walk around with him all the time. I don't go. In fact, we've been out, and I haven't got a Bamfi. I've actually gone back home and picked up a Bamfi. So you know, he's yeah, he's my. Well, I when I get Bamfi, I have to take uh, photos with. Uh... My dad's version of Bamfi Buffle. Uh, yeah. And so they're both actually, bees. They're going to be friends. So, so, we kept, so the interesting thing about bees, all, all our pets are named and started with the letter B as well. So he's, got, so he's got his own Instagram account. So he's a bit of a foodie. So when he goes to restaurants, <laughs> we put him out there and he gets a bit of, you know, he gets a bit of a, a bit of stardom in that way. So he's, uh, he's, my, he's, my, he's my friend. He's, you know, he's, and I think, you know what? I think I thought it was a bit weird. But like you say, you know, your father's gone. I and mean, you start looking around. We've always, Banff is my little, my little, my superhero. Oh, yeah. And, he calls him my brother. I'm like, uh, um, this is a stuffed animal. So, <laughs> but okay. And they thought, it's a rubber duck. No, it's not a rubber duck. He's Banffy. And I get really mm-hmm. quite passionate about it. So <laughs> I think we've all in our lives, 
we've all got a superhero and it doesn't need to be a rubber duck, but I think we can all relate to something that's been really impactful in our lives can help us. That's changed the way we think that can help us move forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is Wendy still with you? Yeah. I don't know. No, yes, she is. <laughs> I was like, oh no, he paused. She's gone. <laughs> I know. I was no. like, um, <laughs> no, well, that's amazing. <laughs> No, she, she still is, you know, and I think this is really important in, 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 in understanding how you experience life. You know, the thing that when you, when you have a serious operation like, like a double lung transplant, and they tell you that the average is six years, is seven years, you've got to understand what that, you know, you think I'm only going to live for seven years. And that's a mindset thing. You know, what's the point of going through all this trauma of having a lung transplant if I'm only going to live seven years? So, but what you have to understand is, and this is only because we set up a foundation, we started doing more research into this. When you say seven years, that's all the lung transplants in Australia put together and used in the world. But every single lung transplant is different. So you're using straight away, you're using the wrong sample size to look at it. And mm-hmm. to say this is the average, then that means that someone's lived less and someone's lived longer. So there's someone in Australia that's had a double lung transplant that's 32 years post-transplant wow, okay so you could be and when you look around the world what is classed as a successful lung transplant changes so it could well be as soon as you leave the operating theater that's class of success as soon as you leave the icu that's a success as soon as you leave hospital that's a success so the average is a bit tainted so what yeah. we actually do now we actually do don't talk about the average any longer we actually talk about if you do the right things and we talked off, offline about covid and everything else if you do the right things and look after yourself so you don't start smoking you don't go and get tattoos you don't go out in the sun you take your medication when you take your medication you get your flu injections if you live life the way you should live life that the average the average you have post-transplant should be the same as if you're just a normal as just as as anyone else who hasn't had a transplant so Wendy's still with us she has her own business she's my CFO we've got reversed roles at home she does all the financing and I do all the the cooking Nice. Um, which is which is good. Um, she's got her own business, um, and we live every day. We make every day count, and that's what we do. I was really interested to hear her story because we actually had an aunt. Um, she's since passed, but one of the things that we they talked about for her was a lung transplant, and that was one of the reasons that they actually didn't end up doing it because the average was so low, and they said that the recovery was so hard. So it was really okay. it's nice to hear your story. Thank you for that. And I think you know one of the things that we've learned from the medical world is they're fantastic in what they do, but sometimes the way they communicate to people is not necessarily is very harsh. Mm. And you know, they said, you know, they said to people with when we talked about when we we're on the long transplant journey, they said, you know, you'd be out of hospital within 14 days, you know, and some people do jump out straight away. I think Wendy spent the first 60 days, the first 45 days in ICU. Her her biggest problem post-lung transplant. Well, she couldn't breathe. And that wasn't because of the lungs. It's because she'd never actually been breathing properly because she's never breathed from her stomach. She's always breathed from her upper chest. So she wasn't actually able to breathe. Which so she had to learn how to breathe. She had to learn how to breathe. And I see you while she's, you know, under in a coma type stuff. And then she had a few other problems. Then she went through um, really, really de- bad depression, post-PTSD, um, a lot of anger, a lot of regret. And... Then, you know, Wendy was, now you're going to check me age, was 14, you know, she's 35. So not, we got told she couldn't have kids. 
And then, of course, you know, with the female genes and everything else, you're going through that process where all your friends have got kids mm-hmm. and you can't have kids and all that feeling. And, you know, for me as a – for me, and I'm not saying for me as a bloke, but for me, when I, were, I always wanted lots of kids, but as soon as we realized we couldn't have kids, I was able to flip out of it. But for her, it's been it's a bit harder. more it's – a, yeah. it's a part of her. So these are things that don't tell you happens when you have a transplant. Nor do they tell you about a carer, you know. And, you know, we, one of the things that I learned about this in the initial for, for this call is that everyone calls up and says, how's Wendy, how's Wendy, how's Wendy? No one actually asks how Gordon is as the carer. Right? Mm-hmm. No one, actually, everyone forgets how the, the impact of the carer. Yeah. Right? And I felt quite lonely. And I felt quite hard. And, you know, the hospital doesn't do anything. You know, you, you go to speak to a psychologist and you sit in a room and, you know, they're not really interested in you. They're more interested in the, the transplant because they don't have many transplant patients. And you're sitting there going, who do I call upon? So you've got to do things mm-hmm. differently. Uh, and the one of the things I've found is that sometimes, um, sometimes the best people to call upon are those around you. Mm-hmm. You just got to look at them slightly differently because not everyone's good with coping with baggage. And sometimes yeah. you don't want to cope with baggage. Sometimes you just want to, you just want to let loose, scream, shout. My brother on Saturday was in a really bad accident. His neck was fractured. Uh, that was like the one of the things I'd ask. Okay, well, how's Mitch and how are you to my mom and to his wife? Because he's in the ICU, and I know that it's going to be like it's hard for them seeing him like that. And having to go through everything as much as it is difficult for him. I mean, technically, it's kind of easy for him. He's been sedated the whole time. Yeah. You know, he he's in dreamland. You know, they have to really deal with it. So I, like, get what you're saying. Where and, and, and they he, should be and, asking how you are, yeah. too. And, and he's got a team of specialists around him 24-7. Right. You, you go home and you go, shit, what am I supposed to do? And it's going to be a long road to recovery. So there's going to be a lot more messages of, okay, how are you and how it like, how yeah. are both of you doing? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that was one of the, actually the first questions I think we wrote to you in our email was asking you what it was like taking care of somebody who had a double lung transplant. No one's ever asked me that. So I'm going to read this. I've got this on my screen. I'm going to read it because I'm going to read it as it came out when you, when I saw that, as it came out of my head. So the first thing I want to stress is it's my experience. And everyone's experience is different. Mm-hmm. And I don't want this, anyone who's listening who think they're going to go through an organ transplant, I don't want them to think that because it's my experience that it's going to be different. Um, so I thought it was strange or unknown. You do it because you love the person. And um, I actually cried when I wrote this down. Don't want to make you guys cry. Because no matter what you've experienced in life, no matter how many qualifications in life, nothing can put nothing can put you in the right position for what you're going to experience. And you, you go to an area that I never knew existed in my, in my body, in my DNA, in my mindset, in terms of that, that unconditional love, that unconditional care for someone. I do understand now when you get married and it says for love and health, for good and bad, right? if I actually knew what that meant, I might have said no. No, I wouldn't have said no. Uh, <laughs> now uh, you really <laughs> understand it. Uh, I think for me, there's been a realization that there's no such thing as normal and that the lives we are told to live, so the lives we're told of kids to live, is 
is extremely insular and extremely limiting into what we can actually achieve as humans. I mean, the strength that I've pulled out to look after, to care for Wendy and care for myself and, and do that. Um, we have its we have its good days and we have bad days. We've also realized now as a carer that it's without without regret that what we're going through is we're doing this together. We feel different. We act differently, but this is together, which also means that sometimes we may say things that may hurt the other person, but we do it because we love that other person so much that we allow, we're allowed to say things, but we don't actually, we're saying it because they're in the room, but we're not saying it to them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and that for me, I think the biggest thing I've, I've learned from caring for Wendy is, um, shit, I don't want to live a traditional life. Like a traditional <laughs> life is so boring. If we, Wendy hadn't gone through this, we would have carried on the corporate gravy train. We were probably living in someone in Europe. We probably have, you know, a nice house, two, three, four kids, traditional holidays, traditional life. Shit, my life has been so much more purposeful since that event. So much more purposeful. I, I used to talk about my life was cash rich and passion poor. And now I just call it passion rich. Love that. Yeah. See, when you ask that question, you can go, you know, again, you can go on and talk about, no, it's not been an easy ride, but life's not an easy ride. Nothing we go through is an easy ride, but I look at all the positives, all the great friends I've met. The really interesting thing about being a carer and go through an experience like this, you learn who your friends are. You really Don't doubt that. In my business, we talk about getting rid of toxic friends, toxic people, and that's in, in, in life. And we don't have any toxicity in our life whatsoever including family. It's amazing how such a hard experience can really bring out positives and joy. It's so emotional when you talk about, not so emotional, sad, but so emotional of, and that sounds a bit weird, of being given this gift to realize what, what you can actually achieve. And, and, you know, I think this is, you know, in my business today, you know, and my client said, I see the belief in them before they see the belief in themselves because I know you don't have tomorrow. I know we've got to do this quickly. And that's why they get results so quickly because shit, I don't want to wait till I'm 65 to live my retirement. I want to live my retirement now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to do, you know, when we you talk can. about the book. So we're on, our, I think we're on about our 11th or 12th bucket list. There's things that we do. So we, you know, we do in our life to make it perfect, to make it, to make it good enough. We have a date night every Wednesday, every Wednesday Love between it. six. Between 6 and 8.30, we put the phones down. I know it's really hard for us, but we put the phones down. And we it go is hard, we, we don't go out for an expensive <laughs> dinner. We go, for, we go out for dinner. But now in COVID, we can't go out for dinner. And the easy thing was not to have that date night. But no, we switched, we switched, we stopped working and we sit down and watch TV. But we have a date night together. Um, mm-hmm. We go for a walk together. So we're doing things that we purposeful. We're not letting COVID. We're not letting the curfew. We're not letting restrictions stop us living our life now. And that's something which I think I've the biggest thing I've taken away from being a being a carer. I I like the bucket list. Is um are they all like really not crazy, but like I want to go to Egypt or like whatever, like the traditional bucket list would be like these like crazy adventures, or is it more like I want to camp in our backyard? You know what I mean? Like, does that make any sense? Yeah, it's even simpler. It's even simpler than that. Yeah. So uh, it could be um, 
I want to go for coffee. And actually, and actually writing it down and then crossing it off. I like you know? it. <laughs> so, 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 so a bucket list um, can be a number of things. You can have a book, you can have a bucket list with 12 buckets. So you want to do one thing once, one, once a month, you can have uh, a seven year bucket list. So you want to achieve one big thing every seven years, or you can have a 52 week bucket list. So 52 buckets. And that could be simply, I want to start painting or I actually want to do my garden bed. I actually want to plant some seeds. So it's, it's, it's all these things. I, I talk about it in business, about chicken lists, about things we always want to do, but we never get around to doing it. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing more satisfying than having a great big list and actually drawing that physically. So you don't do this on a computer. You actually write it down and stick it on the wall. There's nothing yeah. better than actually drawing a line through that and seeing what you've actually achieved. So it doesn't have to be massive things. So people think a bucket, yeah, you know, we've got- Yeah, that's the traditional thought is like, it's something crazy. So don't get me wrong. We've got some big things in there. We've got things like we want to go to Antarctic on a on a boat and do stuff like that. We want to spend a month in Japan. We want to go back to Italy. I want to go back to, to Spain. Um, I've got this big bucket list that I want to start a cafe. Ooh, um, I love it. Uh, I wanted to very- do one of those when I was younger. It's a very particular way, and it's called um, buns and buns. So buns <laughs> as in cakes and buns. And it's in Melbourne, it's a cafe district. It's only open from 6 o'clock till 2 o'clock. You get a couple of nice baristas, a couple of nice waitresses. It's the old-fashioned, traditional European yeah. standing up and having a coffee. It's, a, it's, it, it's almost like a network thing. That's a big goal, right, to do that. What else do we want to get a tattoo? I've always wanted to get a tattoo, so I've got a tattoo to do stuff like this. But, you know, the bucket list is really interesting because my dad passed away in 2008, 2018. Mum passed away last year. And because of what I've experienced through Wendy, I took time off. And the time I spent with my parents was priceless. The time we actually spent just getting – and it's never goodbye. It's always I'll see you later. But the time we actually managed to spend together – and just talk about things and do reminisce about things. And it's actually the book. The book actually got published a week before dad passed away. That was a goal. So I was actually able to read it. Through. So, you know, the bucket list is, I would say to everyone, it's about your desire to do things. You, like you said, kind of, you, you can make it as difficult as you want it to make it to be. And I think that's what people's impressions is. The book, the book list, I want to climb Mount Everest. I'm never going to climb it. No, you don't have to do that. I want to lose five kilos. Great. You yeah. know? I like it. And it's just more realistic too. Yeah. So it's none of this is the Olympic champions type stuff. Everything I do is I'm just, I'm just an ordinary bloke. I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm just, you know, when you see these Olympic champions on stage and talk about, you know, you know, motivation speech, you know, I got up at four o'clock in the morning and I trained for 12 hours. Well, I'm the one eating burger and chips going, well, that ain't going to be me. (laughs) (laughs) Me But if there's a guy in there going, you know what? I walked every every day. I, I walked another mile, and at the end of it, end of the twelve months time, I walked three hundred. I walked hundred miles. I go, you know what? That's, I can do that. Yeah. So everything that everything I'm trying to do is I'm I'm never going for that one percenters. I'm going for the ninety nine percent of people that look at that one percent going, well, good luck for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a company, and both me and Rietta have the book. It's uh, called The Adventure Challenge, right? So I got this book and you scratch it off and it has some mystery thing to do. And like the last one we did where it was uh, like making a 
at home, like the fort, the like blanket fort over your oh, couch yeah. to and watch a movie. I really liked it. And Tom's like, yeah, I didn't realize you needed somebody to tell you what you want to do. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> and the next one we're, we're supposed to do is like blindfold baking where one person's blindfolded and the other person has to help the blindfolded person bake. And I'm like, well, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> so so the, thing, the, the thing I love about that is it's about connecting with each other again. It's about reconnecting yes. with people. It's not about exactly. sitting on the TV. It's nothing digital. And it's the, these are not big exercises. These are not. No. Yeah. These are about investing 45 minutes to an hour with someone that you care about. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And going outside. And when people go, you know, what do you do at the weekend? I'll bake a cake blindfolded. I was yeah. just hoping to get some like fun date night ideas because, <laughs> you know, I bought it like in the middle of COVID and it shows you like it has like little images and like how much money or time you have to spend away from like your house. So you can choose something that's completely at home or you can choose something that's completely like not at home and doing something else somewhere else. You know, so I just was like, I thought it'd be fun. And he's like, I didn't know somebody had to tell you. I'm like, not telling you, it's motivation. <laughs> so tell yeah, us more about your uh, your charity, your the the Longitude Foundation. I hope I said that right. The, yeah, so it's it's longitude as in the lungs and yeah. So, um, I like it. When I talked before about being passion rich, this is probably the thing that I'm I'm most proud about that we did, and it's about the impact. So there was another lung transplant research foundation uh, and unfortunately that the the founder passed away she had three double lung transplants she actually had the same illness as wendy wow uh, so wendy had something called primary pulmonary hypertension so you know that little blue pill called viagra yep viagra was actually invented for primary pulmonary hypertension then they realized because it opens up the blood vessels between the heart and the lungs but then they realized it opens up all the blood vessels in your body so they're oh we could actually make more money out doing something else with the job. <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, so, Mar- so Margaret had a foundation called the Margaret Pratt. So this is really funny, this, because remember, these are people with lung transplants who can't properly breathe. So this is called, this was called the Margaret Pratt Heart and Lung Transplant Research Foundation, which is a big mouthful with 100% lung capacity, never mind 50% lung capacity. Yeah. So, no, so in Melbourne, in Australia, we've got this Pratt family that's a very famous Pratt family, and everyone thought it was associated with the Pratt family. It's not. It's the other side of the Pratt family that's not quite as wealthy, not quite as famous. So, <laughs> so when, and I was on that board. So when Margaret passed away, we sat down with her family and said, look, we would like to set up another foundation, and we, uh, the Longitude Foundation. And it is started off about funding research into lung transplant rejection because it was always about why why are lungs rejecting because lungs are quite an interesting organ that the lungs have to reject the air you breathe in as well as the other as well as your body so it has two it's fighting two types of rejection constantly wow so when we started doing this research and funding the research what we found was the research we were finding was translational across most organs that transplant across hearts livers and everything else then once we found out some of the reasons why lungs were rejecting, we actually took the re- research to the start of the cycle. So how can we actually improve the organ donor matching so that lungs don't reject so people live longer? So today, Longitude has been responsible for some of the leading research regarding 
organ transplantation across the world. So the research that we funded has been presented across the world at leading leading authorities, leading conferences. We've made a positive impact in people's lives on the social and economic situation of these people, that people are able to get back to work. They don't want to be reliable in hospitals to actually go back. We've also done work on how and when someone can be a donor. So we've improved that rate. We've done a lot of research. A lot of the research we do is very early stage. So it's almost like a hypothesis stage, but it's very outcome-based. So the research is valid. And when it's been validated, it's then funded at a much larger scale. We've done all this without any corporate or state or federal support. We've had no corporate support. We've had no federal government support. We've had no major, we don't have a major donor, wealthy donor. Unfortunately, there's no one famous that we know that's had a lung transplant that we can use to to benefit them. You never know. Would you like a lung transplant? No, well, okay then. Uh, So Uh, so our impact impact has been absolutely huge. Um, And we've also now invested in research uh, about the carer about the impact the carriers and how we can do we've, we've got peer groups set up and very soon we we will be establishing something called a center the center of transplant excellence so we're going to bring together thought leadership from around the world and make sure that we can put all this knowledge together so it is it's amazing you know, we know that we we know we've helped people live today because of the research we've done they don't know that it's come from longitude and nor do we necessarily want them to know for longitude but just knowing that you've made that difference yeah, is is hugely powerful. Um, of course, anyone listening, if they want to help out in any way, we are a global charity. More than happy. You know, the the website's longitude as in l u n g i t u d e dot com dot au, or contact me and happy to talk to people. It is something that I never ever thought I would get. I'd never do in my life. I was always been generous with the, with my money like donating, but actually doing this and actually making, be purposeful. Yeah, it's just, it's, I'm absolutely amazed. I'm absolutely amazed about it. I'm so passionate about it. And I can sit here knowing that the research we've done has kept Wendy alive. That's amazing. I'm going to have to get yeah. my friend in contact with you. She um She's on a list for a liver transplant. So Yeah. So a lot of stuff that we go through, it's made, so when Viagra came out, I actually got in touch with the chief scientist at Pfizer. And said, look, my wife needs Viagra. And he says, where are you based? And I said, oh, based in Melbourne. And he says, oh, with the respiratory team at the Alfred Hospital. And I went, yeah, with Greg Snow. He goes, yeah, okay, we'll work out how we're going to get Viagra. So it's global. So people know people around the world. It's absolutely amazing. I, you know, I get phone calls, not every day, but at least once a week, maybe twice a week from people going, can you just tell me about your experience, Gordon? You know, <clears throat> I'm having a heart transplant. What does it mean for me? And I, I'm not a doctor. And I've got to be very careful what I, what I say. You know, we, we set the foundation up on a couple of things. And I was very particular when we set the foundation up. That if someone said to us that when we raise money for research, every single dollar we raise goes to that research. Our admin runs at around about 10 cents in the dollar. But we try to fund that ourselves. That we want to be purposeful. We want to make an impact. No one gets paid to do the job. And we have this thing called, we have the three Gs for the board members. Give, go get, or get off. Nice. Right. And that's, a, that's can't forget that. Really love, right. And I think that's anyone who's anyone who's business or anyone who's set up a charity that anyone wants to come, you don't do it for your own self gratification. You mm-hmm. give, you go get it, or you get the hell out of here. Yeah. No, I love that. 
and it's simple and you can't forget it. Yeah, absolutely. Rietta's going to start using it for hers. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You, you, have you worked out that a lot of things I do is quite simple. It's not a lot, there's not a lot of rocket science for trying to do. Some of it, it's just about, like you say, when shit happens, what do you do? Do you want me to be controversial about COVID? So let me talk about it in a positive way. So the thing that being in business, we do business plans. Yeah. And, what, and people blame our lives today because of COVID. But what COVID proved was that the way, we, the way we're thinking is actually broken. The way we do business plans is actually broken. And also we think about that what we wanted, the reason why employers didn't like staff working from home wasn't because they went came because we didn't trust them. Simple yeah. as that, employers didn't trust. Then these same leaders that were saying no suddenly had to say yes because they had no choice. And when we were at home, we suddenly found out that when we're working from home, hey, our productivity goes up. It doesn't matter if you do the washing at 10 o'clock in the morning. It doesn't matter if you go for a walk in the park at 11 o'clock. As long as you're there for the client calls, as long as you actually do the work, no one, ha- no one cares less. What we're actually finding is people actually working longer hours at home because it's easier to work longer hours at home. But people are now realizing, hey, I don't need to travel two hours or an hour and a half to work in the morning. Right? Yep. What is really important for me is not the career progression, it's the time I'm spending with my family. So what we're finding is that what COVID has done, COVID has broken the way we think. It hasn't broken our, our businesses failing is not because of COVID. Businesses is failing because our plans, our plans for not failing has failed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's about, you've got to look at yourself in the mirror first before you start blaming other people. Yeah. And, so, and I was really lucky. My job has always been remote and I work for Dell and uh, they've always had a 50% remote capacity. And now because of COVID, they're like, yeah, we're going to move this up to 80. (laughs) We we don't really need all these people in the office or they're giving everybody an option to be like flexible. They can choose when they want to be in the office or when they want to work remote, which is even better. I'm on a floor. There's 1500 people on the floor. There's been two people in the office for the last six months. Yep. Right. So that's. You're living the dream. Oh, it's brilliant you know got the coffee machine all to myself yeah <laughs> there you go uh, so what covid has shown is covid has shown that um when people say no what they're saying no is they're saying no to their own self-beliefs they're not they're never saying no to you they're saying no to the self-belief and that's what i want people to understand from covid covid has proven that you can do whatever you want to do just because someone says no to you doesn't mean it's no it's no because they're not ready for your growth they're not ready for your ideas so take that, make sure that you, this is, this is going to be the only time we've got, we've got several generations at the moment, even for Gen Alpha, which is the younger, the, the latest generation coming through now. They're never going to have an opportunity like COVID again in their lifetime. This opportunity that we've got COVID is, is a three to 400 year event. So your opportunity to do something that you really wanted to do is now with no regrets, no holding yeah. back. I don't want you sitting here in three years time. If only you'd done this, if only you'd done that, whatever you do, I have three. Make sure it's legal, <laughs> right? No one's going to die from it, okay? That's a good idea too. Yeah. And be 100% invested in what you believe in and what you do it. Because if you don't believe in it yourself, then no one else is going to believe in it yep. either. So COVID has proven that the way we think is broken. What it's allowed us to do now is saying, well, okay, the textbook you've got is a blank textbook. It's got no, we can't do a degree on living with COVID, right? <laughs> there's nothing, there's no degree in it. 
that what you want to do from this moment forward, you're in the total destiny is you. Right? And today, if you turn around to someone and say, I don't want a corporate career, 18 months ago, they would have said, you're crazy. 18 months ago, if you said, I don't want to do a degree, you would have said, you're crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now a, a lot of people are doing like their own thing from home, whether it's like an Etsy store, coaching, like yeah. a lot of people have just kind of switched because the way we've done business in the past just isn't yeah. working. And, mm-hmm. and we've also found out that the one thing that we miss most, and the one thing we crave a lot is that human to human connection. Now Zoom's oh, good, yeah. but actually this sounds a bit creepy, but it's not meant to be creepy, but um, just feeling and touching each other. Like giving each other a shake and just having a coffee or drink, we, we we miss that craving. So yes, we can talk about a digitized world and technology and AI and everything else, and you know LinkedIn, Facebook, and blah blah blah. <laughs> but let's not forget that out of all the animals on this planet, it's actually the humans that we that we crave. We crave that inter- we we crave that interaction as a friendship, not as a not as a lifelong love partner, but as a friendship. We crave mm-hmm. that and. This is the opportunity to do that. I don't care whether you want to take a caravan or an, an RV and go traveling around the States or Australia or Europe or whatever it is. But if you're sat here in three years' time going, if only, mm-hmm. then you've got yourself to blame. Yep. Okay. So ready for your fun question? <laughs> go on then. All right. What <laughs> is the biggest thing on your bucket list that you want to like accomplish within the next seven years or 10 years or whatever the biggest thing i want to accomplish yeah four can i have one or can i have two you have two that's fine okay so the biggest the the biggest challenge is going to antarctica so that's that's i want to i want to do that when and that the biggest challenge for that is the end we have to fly to santiago uh, santiago from australia uh-huh. Which is a massive, which is a massive flight, and Santiago is not a place that Wendy can stay in because of the health system. The other thing is you've got to get on a boat from there to Antarctica, and being on a cruise is not something that Wendy can do. Um, good old Wendy, she's found a very executive boat that only has thirty-two cabins. So let's work out how much that's going to bloody cost me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and each cabin's got its own butler. I'm going bloody hell. Okay, this is that's one thing. <laughs> The, the other thing that will be on our bucket list, and, you know, it's quite straight. I can't believe I'm saying this in, in 2021, is, oh the oppo- is the opportunity to go back to Italy and go back to Castello Benfic. And I say that because that is, given where we are in this world pandemic and everything, I don't know when, I don't know, A, when we'll have international travel again, or B, when it will be safe for Wendy to travel. Yeah. But to be able to go back there and, and live that moment again, not as if it's our last holiday, but live that moment as it's people talk about what would you do in your last day of your life? And I go, well, what would you do if this was the first day of your life? Yeah. And change, change. And I think that's what I, that's, that would be a massive, that would be a massive bucket list for us to, to do again. Plus you have to take a picture of Bamfy at Bamfy. Yeah. Yes. Of course. Yeah. So there is, uh, there is the, um, there is the real Banff. The real Banff is in an actual ca- in a glass case, the original one that I've had for many, many years, and he's very, very securely found. But yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do Banff there, and uh, that's what we do. And you know, outside that, you know, the other on the bucket list, you know, every day is a bucket list. I wake up every morning, thank myself that I'm breathing, thank myself that wind is breathing, thank ourselves that we are together. I'm not a religious person, 
Uh, funny enough, Wendy's lungs did come from a nun, which I thought was quite that funny. That is funny. That, that is, is interesting. That it's is ironic. Interesting. So we know they were very healthy. It's... And, you know, that that's a great question for the bucket list. And, you know, anyone that's listening to that, you know, anyone that's listening to today, you know, I just want them to go to, to when they finish listening, to switch everything else off and just get a pen and paper. And just and write down a bucket list. Just yeah. write down three things you want to do in the next seven days. And once you've done that, and share it, share it on the website, share it with each, share it with everyone. And then next week, write another three. And then the week after, write another three. And then write what you want to do. And just just do it. You know, well, time moves forward, only moves forward. And we're, mm-hmm. we're, every single day on this planet is one day less we have on this planet. All so, right, listeners, you've got your work to do. Write down your three things. And I think this is the perfect ending spot. So yeah. thank you for joining us. Thank you. I don't want to say thank you. What I want to say is I really appreciate it because I think what you're doing on the podcast and what the the, the guests you have and reaching out just makes everyone just puts it into context where we are in the world at the moment and yeah. make make us really really appreciate the things around us. So I want to thank you guys for for getting thank this you. up and running and doing this. Lovely. So guys, don't forget to check out the podcast every Friday. This is how to deal when shit gets real. Don't forget about our social media and YouTube and everything. We're out everywhere. So uh, come check us out for for, uh, new episodes every Friday. Thank you so much for joining us.